Well, as we join our hearts together and look into God's word today, let us uh, take a, a quiet moment as we begin. Again, Lord, thank you for this day of worship. Lord, that we could come into your presence knowing that with you there is acceptance and love and forgiveness overflowing. Lord, a chance to begin again. So now in these moments, quiet our hearts. Let us reflect on your word. Turn to you, Lord, for words of life that will refresh us and lead us and guide us. Send your Holy Spirit, Lord, so we may know your truth and live your truth this day and every day in Jesus' name. Amen. So we had a little technical problem uh, with the slides for this morning, but everything that I'm going to refer to is on the insert. So find that if you could. Get that out. And there's, a, there's a, some spaces to take some notes, or if you just want to follow along, it's kind of good to kind of see what we're talking about as, uh, as you hear what we're talking about. There's an adage, and I think that's the best word to describe it, an adage from the mid-1800s that was first written in a Christian publication that my grandmother would say to me virtually every time I would come in side after playing with the guys on our street who would make fun of how small I was and how uncoordinated I was and how slow I was and I would be kind of crying and you know saying I didn't want to you know play with them anymore and she would say to me if I start this I know you can follow along sticks and stones can break my bones but words can never hurt me right there is truth in that, <laughs> kind of. I mean, it sounds really good, and yes, hey, the, you know, the, the, the point is ignore the hurtful words that another person speaks at you. You're going to rise above that. I think that's, that is a, a great Christian principle. You know, but it's not really helpful for a nine-year-old, <laughs> you know? It's just does that that does just does not help that much, because while you know words can hurt, uh, so whether you're nine or ninety, I, I think we all can understand the very powerful impact our words can have on someone else. And Solomon realized that the Lord gave that insight to Solomon back you know three thousand years ago. Yeah, and if you, again, look at that top verse, let's all say that top verse from Proverbs 18.21. Your tongue has the power of life and death. So today, we're going to continue our study in Proverbs, and we're going to look at that proverb and some other scriptures in the New Testament that make that very clear and also direct us about what we what the Lord wants to do with the words that come out of our mouths. And so the, the first thing that I want to focus on, because I want to kind of begin with the negative and move to the positive, uh, are the destructive power of very unwise and unkind words that people speak. And I'm, uh, boy, I'm pretty confident on this that I can say that most everyone here has a memory of a time when someone said something to you that just cut you to the heart. That, I mean, not only were, you know, was it unkind, it, it might have even been very hateful. Uh, like a child, maybe it was taunting or teasing. 
As an adult, maybe somebody said some things either to you or about you that were slanderous, said to maybe wreck a business deal or to get a position that you had, or maybe it was gossip, just spread maliciously to, to, to just make your life difficult. Words can cause pain and disappointment and shame in a life. And you don't have to look very far to see how... I mean, this has always been true. I mean, it was true in the Old Testament times, New Testament times. It's true in our age. And even more powerful, the destructive power of words in this whole social media world that we live in. Uh, about 10 years ago, there was a young lady at the church that I serve in Wilsonville. Uh, she was autistic. Right, this is in junior high. Kids, listen. You know, this is an example of what not to do. All right? Parents uh, realize that things can go on behind your backs with, with all the social media stuff that can be just horrible when they come out. But this young lady, she was, because of her autism, was being kind of bullied at school. And, and one day she was crying. Teacher noticed it, and the young lady kind of told what was going on and got three girls in trouble. They were called to the principal's office. They were disciplined. They, you know, they had to miss some school. And you would think that that would be the end of the story, right? That, that the pain that these three girls caused would have shut that down. And it didn't. They were so angry with her that she told on them that they made a YouTube video. And this video that I saw, I cannot say the words that were in this video <laughs> that was on YouTube, but they were explicit and they were graphic and it was, it was ugly. The ugliest part is where they had a doll and they had this girl's name on this doll and they chopped the head off this doll. That video came back to the school and the next step was the police were called in because that was a death threat. This, the, the ultimate result is this young lady was so traumatized, she didn't want to go to school anymore. She didn't want to be around people. They had to transfer her to several schools until she found a place that was accepting for her. These other young ladies, they had a, they had a, a criminal mark on their juvenile record. I mean, we all know Unkind, unwise words have a destructive power. So let's acknowledge that together and then say and ask, well, what's the solution? We all admit that we can say things that are unkind and people can say unkind things to us, those words hurt. Well, what's the solution? Well, the solution, again, if you look on your study sheet, is from words that Paul wrote to Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any evil talk come out of your mouths. Well, there you go. That's, that's, that was worth the price of admission today, wasn't it? Just let's all do that. Hey, what would happen if the world, everyone in the world, lived by that statement? Can you imagine the change that would exist in this world? Easy to say, and hard to do. And I think we all can admit that there are words that come out of our mouths 
that we're not thrilled with, that we know once they come out and once they're, man, they're spoken, it, they were, it was not the smartest thing to say. So what's the solution? The solution isn't to start with the words themselves. The solution is to start with the source of the words. It's not with your lips or your mouth. The solution starts with the source, which is your spiritual heart. Jesus says, uh, gives us some insight. Again, it's on your sheet, Matt. Matthew 12, verse 35. A good person produces good things, and things includes words, from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things, and understood evil words, from the treasury of an evil heart. Doesn't that make sense? Okay, so the point is, the more a person's spiritual heart is in line with God's word and God's will, the more the love of Jesus Christ is present in a person's heart, the more that, that those, the words that will be spoken will reflect the love and the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, hey, we are ruled by the love of God now that we recognize that Jesus is the one who died for us. That's, that's how we turn this around. All of the hurtful, evil, bullying, taunting, misappropriate words that come out of our mouths to be ruled by the love of Christ in our hearts. Now, what does that look like? What do words that reflect God's love look like and sound like? And that has to do with the second point that we're going to talk about today on here, the constructive power of wise and kind words. Two things. Wise and kind words that come out of a heart that is ruled by Jesus Christ, first, are words that build worth in another person's life. So here's the full context of Ephesians 4, 29. So don't let any evil talk come out of your mouth. See, that's the destructive power. And then he goes on to say this, only say what will help build others up and meet their needs. Let that be the focus. Let that be the motive behind every word you speak to someone else. So words that are designed to build worth in another person are very personal. I mean, they, they are very intentional and personal from your heart to another person's heart that acknowledge how valuable that person is to you, where you would thank them for who they are, and you would tell them how much you appreciate them. This isn't false praise and flattery for you to get something from them. These are words that you share to give them something, to give them the gift of, of worth in your eyes, to let them know how valuable they are to you. The second uh, kind of words that, that are constructive, that, that are words of life, are words that deepen faith in another person's life. Paul says here in, uh, in Romans 1, 11, he says, I want very much to see you in order that I might share a spiritual blessing with you to make you strong. Paul says, I, I would, my, my desire is to be in your presence and to speak words of life to you that would help make you strong in your faith in Jesus Christ. 
Words, these kinds of words build faith in Jesus Christ by telling them not how valuable they are to you, but how valuable they are to God. So valuable that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, rose from the dead to give them forgiveness and freedom and life and blessing and a new chance and a new beginning as we live every day in this life. Words that deepen faith are gospel-centered and grace-driven. And the motivation behind words that deepen faith are either to help someone come to faith in Jesus Christ and start following him, or deepen someone's faith in Jesus Christ and deepen their walk and commitment as they follow him. And let me give you an example of kind of both of these combined together. I was very blessed when I was in college to have a summer job, not only that I loved, but I, I knew it was making an impact on people around me. The, uh, uh, the, the job that I had was being a swim coach. And I, I got the job because I swam on this team as a, you know, as growing up from an eight-year-old. And when they needed uh, a coach, I happened to be available to start filling in after my freshman year in college. Uh, anybody ever been to a swim meet here? Anybody ever been to a swim meet? Okay. There's two kinds of swim meets. The, 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 the big uh, USS swim meets have hundreds and thousands of kids. And, you know, it, it's 8.52 of the girls, 9 and 10 freestyle. You know, and every, nobody's watching because they're all asleep. I mean, these are three-day meets. They're, they're, in, they're a marathon. I grew up in a, in a swim league in the summer that was more like high school meets. It was a dual meet. My kids against another team kids, one heat, it was done in, in about two and a half hours. It was very intense, and every kid needed to be at a certain place at a certain time. So I inherited this team to coach. It's probably on the, on the A team, we had 75 plus kids. So we're taking 75 kids from point A, our pool, driving them around Northern Virginia to get to point B. So they all have to get from point A to point B. And then once they get there, we have to organize them and make sure every kid is in the right place at the right time so they can swim because if somebody misses an event, we lose points. And it's kind of controlled chaos. Now, I knew of my swimming ability. I knew I could coach and I knew I could, you know, I love kids and working with them. But I also knew that this whole plan to organize all of this was, I, was above my head. I felt incredibly inadequate. But I was doing the best I could. You know, I, was, I was 19 years old. I also knew I, I was above my head because the pool I was swimming at was located in Arlington, Virginia, about six miles from downtown D.C., which means that besides regular, I mean, parents who had regular jobs, some of the parents of my swim team were senators and congressmen. One guy was the president of the World Bank. Uh, we had CIA, FBI people, I mean. Uh, and here's this 19-year-old kid that's got to tell a senator that his kid's not going to swim because his kid lipped off to me and another kid's going to swim. I mean, it, it was, I was over my head. But that's what the job was, and you know, I tried to do my best. Well, there was a dad 
of one of my kids who was observing the chaos. And he did something that just really surprised me. Because instead of coming up and saying, uh, and criticizing me and saying, you know, you, this is totally disorganized. What is wrong with you? He came up and said, Doug, I see that you have great skills at being able to, to coach kids. And you love these kids, and you can motivate them, and that is so good. But as I look around, there seems to be a lot of disorganization. And I was waiting for the hammer to fall, like, yeah, okay, go ahead, go ahead, give it to me. I know I'm horrible at organizing. But instead he said, so can I help you? Is there anything that I can do to assist you? And I, and, and I didn't call him by the name that everybody else calls him because he said, call me Jim. I said, Jim, yes, sir. There is, absolutely. Uh, can you help me organize things you know, to make sure all the kids get in the same place? He goes, no problem. I'll be your gopher. I'll hold your clipboard. You tell me who needs to be where five minutes, and I will make sure that they, I'll find them and I'll get them there. Oh, my goodness, that was such an incredible help. Because, I mean, little eight-year-old kids, you know, they can just be so squiggly. I just saw them here. Whoop, you know, they're in the bathroom or whoop, you know, they're out running around, you know, just totally oblivious to things going on. And so, oh my God, we did so much better because all the kids got to where they were supposed to be. They had a good time. We started getting more points. We started winning more. And I had enough trust in Jim just to, as the year went on to say, hey, Jim, listen, I, I really appreciate the help. Do you have any other suggestions? He goes, well, again, I'm not here to tell you how to do your job, but you might think about this. You know, you've got some great older kids, seniors in high school, and in high school. Could you train them to work with you when you're alone with the eight and under practice and the nine and 10 practice and the 11 and 12, because it's you versus, you know, 15, 20 junior, you know, little eight-year-old kids, they know they got you outnumbered. You know, you look one way, boop, they're, they're in the, you know, lo uh, the, the locker room just taking a hot shower. So I took his advice. I took, uh, you know, a couple seniors to work with the eight, eight and unders and nine and tens and 11 and 12s. And they, now we had more people on the deck. The kids got more attention. They got better at everything with swimming. And it built a unity because they were like big brothers and big sisters. These seniors in high school were cheering for you know, little eight and unders, and the eight and unders would cheer for them. I mean, it brought a unity that was just amazing that hadn't existed before because all these kids just kind of stayed in their own areas. And now they, we were truly a team, and it's one of the only sports where, you, you know, you can have kids and that brought, a, brought an age spectrum working together and being a team. So Jim had the summers off, and so we did this year after year. The... Summer before um, my senior year in, in college, uh, and the, the swim season was over, and we just had a kind of a lunch together, decompressed, like, man, we made it again. You know, didn't lose any kids, you know, didn't, nobody died. We had a great time. So Jim asked me, he said, hey, you're, you're going to be, you know, be graduating. Uh, he knew I was a, a chemistry physics major at Virginia Tech, uh, and he said, what, what are your plans? I said, you know, to be honest, I don't know. Now, I was the first one in my family to go to college, all right? Um, 
I thought the deal was you go to college, four years, you work your butt off, and you get a job. Not at Virginia Tech you don't. They were not preparing you to get a job. They were preparing you to go get a PhD. And that was a real shock, like four more years of this? And I realized, I mean, as, as time went on, that I, I, was so, I was so in awe of how brilliant the other guys in my class were. I mean, they had a passion. They loved chemistry. They had free time on the weekend. They went over and just hung out at the chem lab. You know, I was thinking, you know, how can I get out of here? You know, kind of thing. And they, they were looking for things to do. And so I liked chemistry, but I didn't love chemistry. And I was sharing all of this with him, and, and he said, well, Doug, can I share an insight with you? And I said, yeah, Jim, go ahead. He says, when I look at you and I see your ability to work with these very difficult parents and the kids and the teaching and the motivating and the organizing that you've learned, he says, I think you have the gifts, you've been given the gifts from God to be a pastor. And that just floored me. It floored me because Jim, I called Jim Jim, but everybody else called him Captain Syme. He was the, the second in charge of the chaplains for the U.S. Navy and worked out of the Pentagon. And he said, listen, you've got a lot more leadership skill than a lot of guys I know at the Pentagon. And if you devoted that to work in the church, there is no telling what could happen. Those words of encouragement those insights, those wise and kind words planted a seed that throughout that next year led me to take the course that I took to, to enter seminary and enter ministry. Um, the point, and it's on your sheet here, the point is never underestimate how the Lord can use your wise words to bless someone else. Words that that, uh, that build up worth in other people or words that build up and deepen faith in other people. Never underestimate a kind, wise word that God is motivating you and leading you to share with someone else to bless them and to build them up. So here's the action step that I want all of us to take today. So again, get out your sheet. You actually now have to write something down. And if you don't have something to write with, then take this home and just make sure you write something down. So see on the bottom it says, Lord, help me this week to speak a wise word to blank and blank. Now, we're going to start small. We're going to start with two people this week. I want you to pray about two people that you will intentionally ask the Lord to give you a wise word to share with them. I'd like one of them to be someone you know very well, and maybe the other person is someone that is an acquaintance and you know their name, but uh, maybe you don't get into much of a deeper conversation with them. And maybe that word is spoken or maybe it's written, but whatever it is, intentionally pray for two people that would need a wise word from you through the Lord. And again, on, on, you know, on your sheet, those words are timely and thoughtful and thankful. If you were wondering what to say or how to say it. And read those scriptures from Proverbs and, and uh, then the New Testament on maybe what you could say or how you could say it. So it's my prayer that 
you would accept this challenge. Two people. And because our words do have incredible power, the Lord can use even the simplest words to bless someone around you, to, to bring them life. So pray about who that could be as we watch uh, this short little video, a, a song that talks about speaking life to other people. And our motivation for speaking life is what the Lord has done for us as he spoke life to us in words that he shared in the upper room when the disciples were gathered together on the night before he died. So as you hear these words of life, stand if you are able. <laughs> 